You're listening to Connect Communities Podcast, recorded live in Stamford, Connecticut. If you'd like to know more about our community, stop by our website at www.connectcommunity.tv. Enjoy the message. Today we're, we're continuing our series, our April series, titled A Seat at the Table. And we've been talking about this idea uh, of sitting at the table. I don't know if you've ever noticed how important the times that you spend at the table are. Those times are very important. Times that you share with your family, times that you share with friends, times that you share with others. And, and probably you can link some of the important decisions that you made in your life to a moment that you were at the table with somebody. Maybe, maybe the first date that you had at the table with uh, that man or that woman and and now you've been married for 19 years. That's our situation. Maybe, you know, it was, it was somebody that you met for lunch and it was just, you know, you, you were just trying to connect to a friend. And then a business idea came out of that meeting and it changed your life. Maybe, you know, it was something else that you can recall, but a lot happens at the table because when you're at the table with somebody, you're not just opening your belly for some good food. That too, right? But we're opening our hearts for intimacy, for connection, for a time uh, together. And Jesus had those moments with people around him. And he had those moments also with his disciples. So if you remember the first week we talked about Jesus sitting with sinners and, and tax collectors. And, and then having a conversation with Pharisees out of that. And then the second week we talked about Jesus with the ruler of the Pharisees and the Pharisees together. At the ruler of the Pharisees house. And then we talked about that. Now today we're going to look at a scripture where Jesus is at the table with his own disciples and then something beautiful a beautiful gesture of love of gratitude happens at that moment and there's a powerful lesson for all of us uh, in this passage so we're going to read the whole passage and then we're going to talk about it mark chapter 14 verse 3 through 9 if you have your bibles you can open there and we're going to read you can follow on the screens it says and while he was at bethany talking about jesus in the house of simon the leper as he was reclining at the table a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard notice very costly and she broke the flask and poured it over his head there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was that ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body before, beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, that includes you and I here in Stanford, Connecticut, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wasn't that true? Here we are talking about her. I read this passage this, earlier this week as I was preparing for this message. And this question grappled my heart. Now, this is a question that if you are not a Christian and if you are not part of a church, I'm going to ask you to just assume or just, just li listen to this question as though everything that the, the church is about is true, okay? 
you got to listen to this question thinking that God exists, that he wants to have a relationship with you, and that you are here today listening so that God can speak to your heart. All right? This is the question that grappled my heart. How much should your worship and devotion to God cost you? How much should your devotion and worship to God cost you? Now, we're no strangers to the process of valuation. We know things cost uh, sometimes money, sometimes time. We've all had either purchased something that we deemed valuable or we have spent our time in something that we thought was worth it. You can think about a car that you have, a house that you live in, whether you rent or you, or you own, a computer, a book, a course, a concert or a show. Remember those? Music lessons, sports practice. We know that everything has value. And everything that has value, everything we value, has a relative cost. We know that. That everything that we value has a relative cost. Good things and also bad things. We have two little daughters. We have three daughters, but two of them are six years old. And at that age, they're already beginning to understand that things cost. Not just monetarily, but that they cost. There's a price for you to enjoy or achieve what you're looking to achieve. And as parents, we're trying to help them grasp this idea of cost-benefit. We can't get away from it. It's in the fabric of our existence. It's in the seasons. It's in the sowing and reaping. It's in, it's in the day and night, rest, work. It's, it's, in, the, it's in the movement of life, of life. And in many ways, we have all been conditioned to accept and to live with these parameters of what things cost us. We don't mind paying the appropriate price for an item or a service if it's going to cost us something. And the proof is in our actions. The average household in America today spends $47 a month on streaming services alone, like Netflix and Hulu. And nobody's surprised because we're all in on it, right? In fact, before the pandemic, the, most houses had three services, not just one, three services. And when the pandemic hit, the average now is four services. We needed more. Netflix, uh, Amazon Prime, and Hulu wasn't enough. You had to go and grab Disney Plus, right? The average American, not the household, the average American citizen pays $7,000 a year in interest charges alone. And you're wondering, where is your budget for that family vacation going, right? The average American holds over $5,000 in revolving credit card debt. Why? Because we value things. We value them so much. We can't wait. We got to have it now. And we're willing to pay a premium. Willing, we're willing to, to, to spend our future dollars on it. The average car payment in America today is $523 a month. That's $17 every single day toward a car payment. Now, we can all complain about how things cost. We can all complain about our, our expenses. But here's the beauty of, your, of capitalism. You never pay for something for you never pay the price. The price of something is never according to what it costs. 
You never pay what it actually costs to be manufactured. Things are priced according to what you are willing to pay for. Which means they are priced according to what, how you value them. And if you're willing to pay for it, that's what determines the price. So at the end of the day, we chose it. We chose our car payment. We chose our subscriptions. We chose to have those interest payments. And the reason why we did that is because we ascribed a certain value to those things that, that, that we purchase or pay for. We deemed it valuable enough to incur that cost and to assume that commitment. Now, I know that today you might be thinking about several things, but I want you, I want you to hone in. And, th and, and, and bring your thoughts to, to this one idea today. I want you to take inventory of your costs in life. And I'm not just talking about financial. I want you to take inventory of what things and what kind of activities, what kind of, of things you're involved in are cost, costing you. Because the same principle goes beyond money. It goes beyond money. And this text that we just read... It centers itself around this woman's one action. It's this one thing that she did. She took a bottle of very expensive ointment, which cost a whole year of salary, okay? 300 denarii. A denarii was what people got paid daily back in those days. So over 300 denarii, that's a year's salary. And a very expensive ointment. And she poured the whole thing on Jesus. Again, I ask, how much? Should our devotion and should our dedication and should our worship to God cost us? What I find interesting in this passage is that those who were criticizing her, those who were trying to deter her from what she was doing, were not strangers to Jesus. These were not Jesus' critics. These were not people who were against what Jesus was doing. It was Jesus' closest followers. Those who were with him every single day that looked at her and said, that's a waste. What are you doing? Scripture says that they scolded her. They scolded her. Tells me this. Even as followers of Jesus, we can develop the wrong idea of what is the proper cost of our devotion to God. Even as followers of Jesus, we can get our valuation wrong. Even as followers of Jesus, we can have the wrong idea of what really matters. As followers of Jesus, as believers, we can value the ministry of Jesus more than we value Jesus himself. We can value being God-like, having love, having kindness, having goodness, knowing how to forgive, knowing how to be merciful, knowing how to live by grace. We can value that more than God himself. We can think it's more important to be a good person than it is to be devoted to God. And that's where the disciples were. Those men who were following Jesus every single day, that's where they were. The disciples of Jesus called her action a waste. A waste. Now why? Why would the people who were walking with Jesus every single day do that? How could they arrive at this place where the ministry to the poor was more important than Jesus himself? This is why I think 
familiarity. I think their problem was familiarity. And I think we have a problem with familiarity. All of us, we deal with this tension that familiarity brings. Because familiarity tends to distort value. Remember the first time you bought your car? When you first bought your car, you were so careful. You didn't take open containers into it. Right? You went, you went to a parking lot. You parked far away to not to get door dings. Uh-huh. You're driving down the street. You see a puddle. Complain about the streets in Stanford full of potholes. Got to drive away from the puddles. But then the months passed. Maybe years passed. And you, you got familiar. That's just my car. Now you just drive straight, man. You wash it twice a year. One, after, one, one time after winter to wash off the snow and salt. One time after summer to get rid of the sandy beaches of Connecticut. The, the, the sand from the sandy beaches of Connecticut. Right? How about that job that you really wanted? You were praying for that job. You wanted it. You really, you were focused on it. And you were so focused that you embellished your resume beyond recognition. You were a dog walker. But that's not what your resume read. Your resume read, I rescue puppies from hostile environments. <laughs> you were a Pizza Hut delivery driver. But that's not what you put on your resume. You managed product delivery logistics for a Fortune 500 company. <laughs> huh? Fake it till you make it, baby. And you got hired. You got the job. You had a great interview. You got the job. And for the first six months, you loved it. You loved everything about the company. You loved, you loved Nancy at the door. You loved, you loved Hank in the back. And then after a few months, they moved Hank to your department. And Hank is not nice. Hank gets hangry. <laughs> and, and then the mission of the company didn't compel you as much anymore. The job wasn't as attractive as much anymore. Why? Familiarity. Familiarity caused that thing that you, that you prized so much, it made it lose its luster. Because almost like everything else in life, what comes after that first love, it's familiarity. And I wonder how many of us have lost our way, not because we were in the wrong path, not because we were going the wrong direction, but we lost our way because we allowed familiarity to determine what we value along the way. We were going in the right direction, but then we just stopped. We were doing the right thing, but then we didn't want to do it anymore. Why? Because we got familiar. It wasn't fresh. It wasn't special. Familiarity is a problem. And today I'm asking you to take inventory of your life, to confront your ways, to pause and to think about your posture, your posture toward God, your posture toward people, your posture toward your purpose. And as you do that, I want to ask you to identify what areas of your life, in what areas of your life has familiarity become a problem. Here's one major problem that I think familiarity brings as well. We tend to confuse familiarity with intimacy. We think that because we're familiar, we're intimate. 
Familiarity is not intimacy. Just because if somebody if it becomes familiar to you, it doesn't mean that you know them. Familiarity actually does the opposite because it causes to develop assumptions about people. Assumptions about God. Assumptions about worship. Assumptions about the church. So you can come to a building like this on a Sunday morning. And you know we're going to sing songs. You know Alini is going to come up here and pray for you. Or, or Liz is going to come up here. Somebody's going to pray for you. You know we're going we're to have an offering. You know we're going to have a message. In, and in your mind you, you just go through the motions. Because it's become familiar. And what that does is that because of the assumptions... Your heart is not open to receive the unknown, to receive the surprise, to receive the new that God has. Familiarity makes you think you know more than you do. And the problem also is that the next step of familiarity is that familiarity can turn you into a critic. I love this quote by Dallas Willard, the philosopher. We're going to have it on the screen for you. It says this, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, unsuspected unfamiliarity, and then contempt. You have to think about that. Because what he's saying is, we can be so familiar with something that we become unfamiliar with it. We can think we're so familiar with something that, after all, we don't really know it. So we become critical of it. To the point of contempt. It happens in business relationships. People think they know you. They think that they know what you're about. They think you're on the same page. So instead of talking to you, they make assumptions. They make their decisions. And then they begin to judge you. They begin to judge your performance. They begin to judge the way you're acting. And before long, they develop a critical, contemptuous vision of who you are. Why? Because they think they're familiar with your work. They think they're familiar with your ethics. But they're actually not. They're just being critical. Familiarity does that. It happens in marriage as well. Couples can develop a level of familiarity that, that cause them, causes them to stop communicating. They just assume that they know their partner. So they lose interest. They lose interest in continuing to pursue, continuing to know each other. And they make assumptions about the partner's intentions and actions because, because they become familiar. And, and out of that comes criticism. Oh, I know what she's going to do. Oh, I know what he's going to do. He's not going to say yes. He's not going to say. He's not going to be okay. with now. I'm just, I'm just going to do my own thing. And that's when unsuspected unfamiliarity is revealed. Because when you're awakened to it, you begin to realize your world's apart. That's how couples grow grow apart you don't realize you're growing apart it's just one day you're so far apart that you're like wait a minute I thought we were in one place but we're actually in a completely different place I've seen this happen couples that have been married for years they get to a point where they lost touch with each other and they realize I don't need I don't really know this person I'm living with why they confuse intimacy with familiarity They've been familiar this whole time in their minds, but they haven't been intimate. It happens in a, in a series of other areas of our life as well. Now, do you see how familiarity can have the wrong kind of effect on your value system? 
It can cause you to value things differently. It can cause you to, to devalue things when you shouldn't. You know, you've heard this quote. People say often, you don't know what you got until it's gone. I think the truth is that we forget the value of what we have because we've become too familiar with it. So just because you're familiar, it doesn't mean it has lost its value. It just means that you don't value it. So you stopped investing. And that's what I'm asking you today, to take inventory of your life. Especially those of you who have committed your, your life to Jesus, who are committed followers of Christ. Those of you who call Connect Community home. Because this is true for your relationship with God. You can think you're intimate. Because you're familiar. But you can still be so far from him. I mean, think about the disciples. They were sitting with Jesus right there. They were at the table with him. Yet, they were so familiar that they considered that act of worship a waste. Why? Because familiarity does not brings, brings us closer to God. And that can happen to you. It can happen to us. We could come to his table every single week. We can be part of worship and even be in his presence and not, and not be closer to God. So if we're going to take inventory of our lives, we need to start with the most important thing. And that is the relationship, our relationship with God. Jesus in this passage, he puts worship in its proper place. He puts devotion to God in its proper place. Look, notice that he says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I wonder if you have discovered the beauty that exists in worship. Have you discovered that? Maybe you're new to this life and you haven't yet gotten to the point where worship is a beautiful thing to you. But maybe, maybe it's been a while since you've, you've had that experience of, of just being in God's presence. Being completely surrendered. One of the th reasons why I love this passage is because of the gender relationship in this passage. For us, we read it, if we read it with 2021 uh, vision or, or, or perspective, we can look at this passage, passage and go, yeah, Jesus, Jesus used that moment to teach them. But this is a woman. Okay? And, and in those days, a woman was, was at a different level than a man. And so this woman comes in, and because she did what she did, they were probably dismissing her, going like, what are you doing, woman? Breaking that flask and wasting all that. Do you even realize how much that cost? Do you even know how much that cost? She knew how much it cost. She planned for it. She intentionally poured it all on Jesus. And Jesus takes that moment to... Use a woman's worship in those days, in that time, and teach a bunch of men about it. I love that. I think it's beautiful. I think there's something special about it. And I think also there's something special that Jesus is calling these men to worship. There's something special about men learning the value of worship. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 8. I desire that in every place... The men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. I'm like, why are you calling men out, man? Man. 
I think it's because as, as men, you know, it's a little bit harder for us to, to actually be that free. You know, maybe because you're so concerned about so many things and it's not that nobody else is concerned. Everybody is concerned. But I feel like sometimes, I, 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 you know, men can come into an environment like this and they see women worshiping so freely, you know. <sighs> the hands go up and they dance and they sway. What a beautiful name it is. It's like they're swimming. A beautiful name it is. And the men are over here. All right. They can have that, that baseball stance for like, God bless America, my home, sweet home. Play ball! The seventh inning worship. There's something beautiful about not having to strive in God's presence. And, and I love that, that, that the scripture calls us to worship. There's something beautiful about men and women coming into God's presence and, and saying, I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be angry with, with what's wrong in the world. I don't have to fight and to struggle. I can just be in his presence. I can come to his presence, open my heart in prayer, lift up my hands like a son and say, Father, I'm here. Father, I'm surrendered. Some of you have never done that. This, is, this is, might be even a little bit weird for you. But I tell you, like this level of connection to God is so liberating. You might be new to this. You might even like have your doubts. But I encourage you doing worship or in prayer at home just to just open your hearts in an abandoned way and say, God, I, I just surrender to you. Not, not because you're angry, not because you're striving, not because, but just opening your heart completely. As if you were pouring your whole life in worship. Jesus said something else too. He said, you will always have the poor with you. That's an intriguing thought. That Jesus, who calls us to love one another, that Jesus, who says that if you don't, if you don't care for the least of these, you're not caring for me. It's the same Jesus that says, when you take care of the least of these, you have done it unto me. Scripture says that those who, those who, uh, those who bless the poor lend to the Lord. This is the same Jesus. And he's saying, you always have the poor with you. Now, what is Jesus saying? This is, this is how we can bring it to, to our reality. Yes, you will always have the poor with you. But also, you're always going to have bills to pay. You're always going to have your worries in this life. You're always going to have something to think about. You're always going to have somebody needing your help. You always have someone in trouble that needs rescue and, and that's going to call on you. You're always going to have those things. For as long as we're a church, in the next decades that we're a church here in Stanford, we're always going to have someone to help. We're always going to have a problem that, that as a church we can cause effect and, 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 and change. Let me be clear for you. What we do here as a church is not about social work. Yes, we love helping those that are, who are in need. But we're not about that. It's not about eliminating poverty in the world. We want to do that. But that's not the main point of the church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating. It's not a matter of drinking. Meaning it's not a matter of earthly things. But it's a matter of joy and peace in the Holy Spirit and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. We're about seeking God. We're about His presence. 
We're about worshiping him. We're about making him first. We're about breaking that flask and pouring everything into his presence. That's what we're about. That's what the church is about. And out of that, out of that worship, out of that devotion to God, we help the poor. Out of that devotion to God, we feed the hungry. Out of that devotion to God, we give water to people in the Dominican Republic. Out of that devotion to God, we help single moms through the pregnancy centers here in Connecticut. Out of our devotion to God, we bring the good news to people in Iran and China and countries that are hostile to the gospel. You always have the, word, the poor among you. In other words, keep God the main thing because without God, we can't do anything. So let's keep him the main thing. And then here's my last observation from this text that she says. This is what she said. This is what Jesus said about the, the, this lady. Jesus said, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. And my question to you is, are you doing what you can? Are you doing what you can for God? Those of you watching, are you doing what you can? Listen, we, all, we can all have good intentions. And we all do have good intentions. I mean, you're here at church on Sunday morning. That's amazing. But the cost that we pay, the price that we pay, is not connected to our good intentions. It's connected to our actions. It's connected to what we actually do. And so that's why today I'm asking you to take inventory. Take inventory. Now, when we take inventory, this is what we might realize. We might realize that we are over-leveraged, that we're overcommitted, that we are overstretched. And when we do that, when things cost too much, we can feel like we need to make cuts. We're bound to make cuts. And we've all been there. We've all had to make cuts. I think one of the funniest stories I've heard and I've witnessed, maybe witnessed more like heard, was uh, this person I met when we used to live in Houston, Texas at church. This guy, he wanted a girlfriend, man. He really wanted a girlfriend, and, and he was praying for it. I mean, he, he was hoping and scoping. He was uh, single and ready to mingle, you know? You know those guys that you know that they're looking? And, and he, was, he was praying, and, and, uh, um, and finally, you know, uh, he, he got a girlfriend. And, and it seemed like they were doing well. He came, introduced it. Uh, to me and and I thought that's amazing and then I never saw him again Houston is a large city and you know I never saw him again and then I thought uh, here, here you go it's somebody that came prayed for what he wanted got what he wanted and disappeared <laughs> and then he shows up again uh, sometime later by himself again and I asked him like hey how, how's your girlfriend doing and he said huh it's not gonna work and I was like oh I'm sorry to hear that uh, do you mind me asking like why is it not gonna work he said it's mainly gas prices. I'm like, what? Gas? It was a first to me. He said, yeah, you know, Houston is a, is a large town, and he's in a city. And he said, yeah, I mean, she lives far, and every time I have to go there, it's like I, I've been spending so much money on gas. It's just, it's not going to work. I'm like, what? Really? Gas prices? I mean, I, mean, I guess it's not meant to be. I mean... We've all been in situations where you need to make cuts. Maybe not like that, right? But we've all been in situations where we got to make cuts. And here are my, here's my question. When you're considering making cuts, are you making cuts 
Simply the lower cost, or are you making cuts to increase value in your life? Are you lowering costs or increasing value? Listen, when Alini and I started dating, we were living 5,000 miles apart. And back in those days, you paid the phone bill by the minute. And international phone calls were costly. And we paid for it. Our parents also paid for it. <laughs> but, but we paid for it mostly, she said. <laughs> but we paid for it. Right? We paid what it cost to have that relationship. Then eventually a year, a month, a week, and a day after we started dating, we got married. And it was awesome. It was worth the investment. But guess what? We kept paying what it costs because marriage costs. Relationship costs. But it also adds value. And the value far surpasses what it costs. And she's worth it. We've been paying for 19 years. And I'm excited. She's worth it. She's worth my life, this woman over here. She is. That's right. Yeah. But guess what? You don't think about the cost when you, when, you, when you connect to the worth of why you are doing what it needs to be done. And how much more is our devotion to God? How much more is our devotion to God? I can tell you in our lives, when we moved to Houston, Texas, it cost. It was out of a call of God and it cost. It cost, it cost relationships. I had to live, move away from my family. It cost. It cost money. It cost when he had to move to Connecticut again. It cost. We had to leave our friends. When we planted this church, it cost. Don't be naive. Things of value are going to cost you. And I just want you to break this idea that a Jesus-devoted uh, life is a cost-free life. It's, Jesus never said that. Jesus is not a, a way to live a cost-free life. Sometimes it's quite the opposite because the best things in life cost you the most. It's going to cost. If you're going to achieve anything of value in life, you got to do what you can. This lady, she did what she could. And God is not asking you to do what you can't. He's asking you to do what you can do. And my question is, are you doing what you can for God? Are you doing what you can for His church? Are you doing what you can for the kingdom of God here in Connecticut, in Fairfield County, in Westchester County? God is calling us to break the effects of familiarity today, to renew our devotion to Him. He's calling us to be generous toward Him. Listen, let me get a little personal with you. I want to get in the weeds of your life. And challenge you a little bit, okay? If you make time for everything else in your life, but you're not making time for prayer in your life, I'm asking you to take inventory and to break the effects of familiarity in your life and to make time for God. You're going to feel like you, you're not good at prayer. It's a lie. You're going to feel like, is this really working? Yes, it is. Prayer works. Connect to God. Give Him your heart every single day. Make time for God. I want to tell you who are here and those of you who are watching. I'm going to get in your life, okay? If you prioritize everything else, but you don't prioritize coming together and worship, I'm asking you to take inventory today and break the effects of familiarity. 
This is not just another Sunday. This is not just church. This is a unique time of worship with Almighty God. You get to come into His presence with other people. There's nothing else in your life like this. There's no other experience you can have like this. So make the most of it and prioritize it. You can think, man, this is just another song that we're singing. Or this is just JD sharing another message. My words are broken. I, I, I'm still amazed that God uses anything I say. But I do this every single week because I know that the Holy Spirit can take these seeds and talk to you directly. God can touch your heart and talk to you directly. He can use my broken words and whatever thought is going on in my crazy head to minister to you. So this is a time between you and God. Make the most of it. Prioritize it because it will add value to your life. It costs on a Sunday morning. Yes, it costs. It costs. Connect groups cost. Yeah, it costs. But it's going to bless you because things of value cost. And I'm, now I'm going to touch on a subject that might be an idol for you. But if you're willing to spend your money on whatever latest gadget, and you spend $50, $100 a week on a night out, but you have not invested a single cent in what God is doing on, on earth, and I'm not just talking about this church, I'm talking about anything that bears the name of Christ, anything that is a God move. If you haven't invested a single Dollar, I am asking you to break the bonds of familiarity and allow God to unleash generosity in your life so that you can use your finances for good. Listen, I think that in the six years that we've been a church, we've established a rapport with everyone. Maybe you're new, but you can ask. We're not a church that pressures anybody for money. I got to deal with God. When he started the church, my prayer was, God, I'm not going to be, you know, somebody who's going to pressure people for money. I'm not going to stress out about money. I'm not going to be that kind of leader, manager. If the church has money, we're going to make it and we're going to go. If the church doesn't have money, we'll close the doors and pack out and do something else. Because I'm not, I, I refuse to be the kind of person who, like, guilts people into giving. So we don't do that. But people have this idea. I don't know why. I know why. It's the enemy. It's the devil. Put this idea that church is after your money. And maybe you've heard bad stories and you've heard experiences out there that, you know, might have been true. But I can tell you that for the most part, I know a lot of pastors and the vast majority of them, they just want to help people. Churches want to help people. The church doesn't want your money. You know who wants your money? Netflix wants your money. Yeah. Netflix wants your money. You know who wants your money? McDonald's wants your money. The delicious Big Mac. Yeah, and those fries. They put MSG on those fries. Do they still? I mean, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll take it. Coca-Cola wants your money. They want your money. And as a church, we've never sent you a bill. We've never sent you a bill. It never will. You've never gotten a bill in your mail saying, do upon request. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> you attended seven services. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? We actually had somebody who had no idea of church when we first started the church. And they was like, is there a ticket? Do we buy a ticket to go attend? And I'm like, I love the sincerity and openness of people's hearts here in Connecticut. But the church doesn't want your money. I'm, I'm, I'm challenging you today because my question is this. Are you willing to put God first in your finances in a world that makes money an idol? 
that makes money the main thing. Are, are, are you, God said, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Are you willing to put God first and allow God to unleash generosity in your heart? Are you willing to put God first in your finances and take him at his word and invest in his kingdom and say, God, I trust that you will rebuke the devourer for my sake. That because I'm being faithful to you, I'm not going to get a flat tire. I'm not going to get an extra expense. I'm not going to get that thing that, you know, hap, hap, uh, random things happen, man, to take your money. The devourer just comes and grabs you with random expenses. And my question is, are you willing to put God first in that area as well? The band can come up. We're going to close. I want to close with these three thoughts quickly. Just give me five minutes. Jesus said this. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached and proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. This is what she did. She did three things. First, she broke the flask. That speaks of a moment of no return. There's a moment of no return in your life. For those of you watching as well, there's a moment, there's a point of no return. When you make the decision and you step into what God has for your life and there's no turning back. And we are all called to take that step. I think of a Kevin Cabanas. He's here today with his son. And the Cabanas are an amazing family. And Kevin used to drive in with his family from the Bronx each Sunday. All the way from the Bronx because they felt called to be part of this church. And then beginning of next, uh, last year, beginning of 2020, they were so happy because they moved their family to Stanford to be close to Connect Community. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit. And we couldn't meet. I remember he, he came to a, a, a guy's night we had at our house sitting by the fire. He said, we moved to Stanford to come to the church and now we can't meet. I'm like, man, we're going to get back. We're going to get back. We're going to come together. And I'm so appreciative of people who feel the call of God like them and are willing to break the flask. What did they do? They broke the flask. Listen, we're in. We're all in. God, you're calling us. We're going to do this. We're going to do what it takes. Second thing she did. She poured it over Jesus' head. See, you... you, you, you you don't break the flax for no reason. If you're going to take a step that is a point of no return, you got to do it for God. I mean, everybody wants you. Your company wants you. Everybody wants your attention. Social media wants you. Everybody wants a piece of you. But if you're going to break the flask and you're going to pour all of you, do it for the one who gave it all. She poured the whole content on Jesus' head. And I, the whole thing. And I can't, I can't, I can't stop thinking about the fact that that same head, just days later, was going to be pierced by a crown of thorns for the sins of the world. In the hands of the disciples, that flask could have helped a few poor people steal something good. But as an act of worship, that flask prepared Jesus for the salvation of the world. You don't know what God can do with your worship. 
You don't know what He can do with what you offer Him. Maybe you're striving and giving your life into something. You might be helping a few poor people, so to speak. But imagine if you took that and you poured it in Jesus' presence. You think you've seen it all. You you haven't seen anything yet. What He's able to do in your life and through you. And lastly, she faced opposition. Let me assure you of this. When you invest your life in this, when you invest your life into the call of God, it's going to cost you. And it's not only going to cost you what you're going to invest, it's going to cost you relationships. People are going to criticize you. They're not going to understand. They're not going to understand your devotion. They're not going to understand why you're waking up at 5 in the morning to, to, to pray and to talk to God. They're not going to understand why you're investing of your time to build His kingdom. They're not, they're not going to understand why you're putting so much into what God is doing. But here's the reality. They haven't gone through what you've been through. They haven't been rescued from what you've been rescued from. They haven't been saved from what you've been saved from. And for those of you who have, who have left pain and, and for those of you who, who have been in the shoes of struggle and misery and the God that delivered you from that, you know that He's worth everything. Therefore, we worship Him. So let me ask you today to worship Him boldly, to come into His presence boldly, to give generously of every area, your time, your treasure, your talents, to come with surrender and break the bonds of familiarity and be renewed. Be a part of what God is doing here at Connect Community. Join a team. Connect to God. Connect to others. In your job, share your faith. Be a light. Lift people. Commit commit to coming on Sundays. For those of you watching, if you're in the area, commit to being with us. And let's see the presence of God change Fairfield County and Westchester County forever. Do you receive it? Amen.